0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Let me tell you a funny story. And I'll try not to go along today, but when you're old, you have a lot of stories. You know that, okay? So we were in uh, Cody, um, Wyoming about two months ago, and I was, I'm writing a book on how to help churches find their next pastor. So I'm writing away on this picnic table because you got to do it outside, and Cody is beautiful. It's just an hour outside of Yellowstone. And so I'm writing away, and a lady walks by, and she says, hey, you look like the former governor of Wyoming. Are you, are you who I think you are? And I said, well, who do you think I am? And so she said that. And I said, no, I'm I'm not. And she just kept walking. And that kind of, oh, man, I didn't get a chance to engage her for Christ. About a day later, Carol is now with me. Walks in the office where we were staying. And the lady was behind the counter. And she's one of those real bubbly ladies, you know. She doesn't have an off button or a quiet button. And so she says, hey, guys, this is the one I was telling you about. I thought he's the he, he's the governor of Wyoming but he's not. And so then she says, well, then who are you? And my wife pipes up and and she says, well, he's, he's a pastor. Well, I'm not, but I guess she'll always see me as her pastor. Okay. Which is, I think a high honor, hopefully. (laughs) All right. So she's a pastor. And that lady went on about, you know, we want to know more about what's going on, what's happening. Who are you? We need to pray. We've got people that are sick here in our office. So we did, we just got around to pray. And I said, well, if you really want to hear our ministry, download our app, Make it clear, just go to make it clear, look for it in the search in your, your, your what do you call it, your app store, and you can listen to me anytime you want. That way I can add spiritual value to you, not just a howdy partner kind of thing. So we talked a little bit more, and from the back of the room, a guy yelled out, hey, hey, it is you, it is you. I said, what is wrong with these people, you know? And so what he had was my app, and he turned it on, he was listening, and so he, you know, kind of secretly downloaded the app and said, this is who he is. Now, I'm telling you all of that, that our ministry is wide. We have that kind of ministry. We've just finished filming another one of our films outside of Atlanta in a place called Macon, Georgia. It's on sex trafficking. It's underneath our big series called The Bible Says. What does the Bible have to say about sex trafficking and what we can do? And we're connected with a lot of other ministries just to that one topic. The NBC station in Macon was there. They filmed us while we were filming, and they broadcast that on NBC in that area of the country and all of that. Again, letting people know that God is large and in charge in their life. So again, I encourage you to go to our website. All the information you need is on the back of your outline, and that way I don't have to tell you more about what we're doing and all of that. I am here today to open up God's Word, hopefully to add comfort and value to your life, not to raise money for our ministry. Yeah, we need it. Every ministry does. But I'm here to really encourage you not to promote our ministry. All right, let's pray, shall we? Father, with humble hearts, we come before you now. We know that, Father, that you love us. We know that we live in very uncertain times. Father, even the last time I was here, there was no virus, none of that kind of stuff. Now look at how our lives are so different. And so, Lord, I'm asking that this message that you've laid on my heart from God's Word will directly impact everyone who will hear it. For, Father, I know that it's impacted my life as well. So, Father, I ask you now to take the authority over our session and bring glory back to you. In your name we pray. Amen. I titled this message, What to Remember When You're Discouraged. And then I thought, well, maybe that's kind of a downer kind of a deal. So I called it Thriving in Difficult Times. I thought that was pretty cool. But I thought, nah, that's too generic. So you know what I put down? Good news for bad time. That's it. Good news for bad time. So if you really want a simple title, just remember, take home with you, good news for bad time. And I think it might help you. You know, we live in a world that there is a lot of crisis going on today. I think in the last few years, we've uh, had some recession. Our stock market is going up and down, up and down, up and down. It's, it's crazy what's happening with that. We've had floods. We've had hurricanes. We have some friends that live right there in Sanford. They had a tornado twice this summer in Deland, actually. And so I have to tell you, it's been a crazy world. We've had fires. Now, we haven't had so many fires, but have you been following what's going on on the West Coast? I was got a little blip I, I don't do a lot of news stuff because I'm really too busy, but the little blip said, "Talent, Phoenix, Oregon, on fire. Eighty thousand people fled. And when I heard the name Phoenix and Talent, it reminded me that we have a Make It Clear associate living in Phoenix, pastoring in Talent. And so I called him for two days, but I couldn't get a hold of him. Then finally, I got a hold of him when he was bunkered, hunkered down at a CEF camp in northern Oregon, like in a bunkhouse with his wife. And he said, It is absolutely horrible. The fire started, went right up the river. We are 500 yards up from the river, and we were hearing and things were popping. They came along with a megaphone. It happened so fast that they blasted out this. Flee immediately east. Flee immediately east. Don't take anything with you. They left their car. They took just a little bit in their hand, and out they went. I called him, and he said, you know what? I don't know if our house is still here. I, I, I don't know if my church building is there. I do know that half of my church's family's house is burned to the ground. They're all scattered. We never come back again. So basically, I've lost my ministry. I don't even know about our own house because I don't know where we're going to live. We can't even get mail or anything. It's all gone. So he says, I don't know what's happening. I called him last night. He answered the phone. And he says, you won't believe where I am right now. I said, where are you? He said, I'm standing in the living room of our house. There's only two other houses in our entire subdivision that are still standing while the rest of the city, our grocery store, our gas stations, our hardware store, it's all gone. I just, our house survived. As far as the church, I don't know. We haven't been there yet. Rumors are said it may or may not be there. Why am I telling you that? Well, we're so distanced from that. In our mind, we think, oh, that's too, too bad. I wonder What we are going to have for dinner tonight? That's kind of normal. But if that was you, think about the tremendous challenges that you have. What will we have, Even if your house is saved, no power, all the food's gone, it's all rotted, in the refrigerator. got to get in the refrigerator, don't have any money, can't communicate with anybody, they can't send anything there because the city is basically blocked. Can you imagine the disrupt, disruption in your life, how terrible that that is? Now, do you think that that possibly could cause us to get discouraged? I mean, even Christians, could we not get discouraged? I know I would be, you know, if I had all of that happen and then I, things are, that would cause me to be discouraged. We talk about how, I don't know what you might say, this this virus, it's so easy for us to catch it from someone else. It's touched this church with your guys who ran the sound before. How quickly, she gets it, he gets it, boom. Yesterday morning I read how that a wife being married to her husband for some 40 years got the virus three days later he gets the virus ten days later they're both in their own separate ICU units in the hospital two days after that they call the family and said there's really no hope so they wheel these two people that were dying into the same ICU room. the husband weakly reaches out his arm to his wife in the other bed she weakly reaches out her arm in the other bed and they touch fingers She dies. Four minutes later, he dies. That family will never be the same. So there's easy for us to get discouraged. And as I guess you would say uh, problematic is the virus, I think if we're discouraged, that can discourage other people around us. Think about it. When I'm discouraged, then the whole world stinks. My whole life stinks. And pretty soon we send that to those who are closest to us. And here's the beauty of it all. While we do not yet have a cure to the virus, discouragement can be quickly cured, just like that. And watch this, this is so cool. If I get cured of the virus, that doesn't mean I can go next to a virus-inflicted person and my health will make him healthy. But I can tell you that if I get over the, quote, sickness of discouragement, I can then go alongside someone who is discouraged and perhaps refocus them. Do you agree with that? Well, now, I want to give you some tools to do that because I care for you. I don't know your family. I don't know what world you're living in. I don't know where you might have some discouragement. It could be family. It could be some of your friends. It could be over your fitness. It could be over your finances. You might have an enemy in your life that's really speaking against you. We call it a foe in your life. But there may be some discouragement that you're going through, and I'd like to really help you do that. So I picked out a letter that was written by Peter. I thought if anybody would know anything about discouragement, wouldn't it be Peter? Technically, it would be all the guys that were the disciples and apostles. I mean, they all faced really junk, you know. And so when they had that, Peter, but but Peter is the only one, it seems that the Lord said, okay, Peter, you can write a lot of stuff, but I'm going to put into you what I want you to write to certain people, and I want you to teach them two big, huge truths. Number one, The value of suffering, which I'm not having time to give that to you today. And number two is how you can overcome discouragement when you have discouragement in your life. And that's really what I want to give to you today. And so now you look at good old Peter. What was going on in Peter's lifetime? Well, you're grabbing people away, throwing them into the Colosseum. I I think the letter that Peter wrote, he wrote while it was in Rome. So these are Christians going into the Colosseum, being eaten up by animals. Later on, he said, don't worry about the fiery trial that's going to try you. That was future, because shortly after that, Nero then burned the city, and he blamed it on Christians. And so Christians were all over the place were just going through all sorts of problems. I mean, they were persecuted. They were discouraged. They had all sorts of stuff happening. And although that was back then, listen carefully to this. While Peter wrote it to the Gentiles and maybe some Gentile Christians, he wrote it to some Jewish Christians, but it was in Turkey. I think the majority were Gentile Christians. So they were Christians. They were coming out of the Gentile background. All that being said is he wrote it to them because he knew that they were going to have times that the world and what would be flung at them would cause them to mentally and emotionally shut down. With discouragement. So he wrote it to them. Now, we can sit here 2,000 years later and say, "Ah, that was for them. This is an old, dusty book. Remember the principle of God. He wrote it to them, but he wrote it for us. If it wasn't for us, it wouldn't have been in the Bible, and it wouldn't have been preserved for us to read today. So what I'm going to give to you, yeah, that's dusty truths from the days of of yesteryear, but I want you to know it is for us today, seated in the chairs that you're seated in right now. So this is for us today today for this great truth. So I hope that this might help you because Peter says, I can identify with you. I've gone through my own trials, but here's what I've learned to really get a better perspective. I'm not being discouraged. There's only three. It's so simple because what we're going to do is we're going to look at our life from a better perspective. What do we need to look at? I like to say, when you're down, look up. (laughs) When you're down, look up. Say that with me. When you're down, look up. Now, technically, I think we should always be looking up, don't you? But really, though, sometimes we get down. We get down because we're looking so much at our problems. We forget to look up until we can't do anything else but look up. It's funny (laughs) how, and I'm not marginalizing you ladies. I love you, okay? When a lady sees a pearl, she sees jewelry. When a biologist sees a pearl, he sees secretion in a mollusk that turns into a pearl. When a poet sees a pearl, he sees a teardrop in the sea of life. When a Christian sees a pearl, he sees a marvel of God's creation. What am I saying that for? It's what we perceive. When we see something, it's all out of perspective. So I am want to raise your perspectives today and give you some truths to look at that in so doing will help you to look up. Isn't that great? All right? I, I, I think this is so cool when I think about these kind of problems that they had and what God has for us to help us. So, you got your Bibles out. I'm, I'm using a new living translation here. And the reason I'm doing that, is because I didn't know the audience to see where you are on different types of translations. So, I just kind of grabbed this one because it seemed to be simple and might be very helpful for you. So, what are three truths that believers ought to never forget? when they get into a position of discouragement. Number one, God has chosen me to be a part of his forever family. God has chosen me to be a part of his forever family. I am going to read a portion of scripture, just three verses, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to exposit them. I'm going to kind of open them up so you can get some truths out of it. All right, verse one says this, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he hung with Christ. He was all a part of all that different kinds of discouraging activities. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the lands of Pontus, Galatius, Cappadocia, and the province of Asia. Kind of like the Turkey area there and Bithynia. Now, I look at all of that. These were foreigners, so they were immigrants. I don't know if you're watching right now on this particular program, if you are from another country living in this country, but you might be an immigrant. And so now you have your own set of discouraging things going on because you're trying to connect into a culture that's really not yours, Right. And then you get all this stuff. And then you got all this stuff going on in America about immigration and all of that. See how it makes it real for today? This is real stuff. He says, so you who are immigrants in a place that's not your own, I'm writing to you because you've got trials in your life. All right, let's go on. And by the way, let me make it a little different too. I have pastored in different cultures. I pastored in Hawaii. Can you think about Hawaii? What do you think their culture mostly is? Is it going to be African or is it going to be Polynesian? So they eat a lot of fish. I don't think any of them ever have a tie in their closet. If the ladies have a dress, it's a muumu. Okay, so it's a different culture. We pastored in northern Georgia. Population 20, key haw you know, that kind of thing. And if you're watching from northern Georgia, I love you, beautiful place. Okay, that being the case, every place you go, even in America, is a different culture. And when you go, you have to learn things and there's all different kinds of challenges you have. One challenge is just being accepted by the people. Figuring out, is that really going to be okay if I eat that? All of that stuff. And that's not even a big trial. So he goes on here and he says this, God the Father chose you long ago and the Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you've obeyed Jesus Christ and are cleansed by his blood. And then he says, and may you have more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace. Man, not only do you get the spirit, and you get cleansed. He says, I want you to have special favor, wonderful peace. And why? All to honor the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is by his boundless mercy. When you put the word boundless together, that means it can never be bound. So in other words, it's just free and flowing mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again we'll talk about that in a second now we live with a wonderful expectation now remember he's writing it to people that are having trials he's writing us today for us who are having trials and he says now we live with a wonderful expectation what's that wonderful expectation Ah, stay awake all right we'll give that to you then he says because jesus christ rose again from the dead i love that last phrase because he rose from the you know why that's important because no matter what he said or what he did, if Jesus died and he was dead, 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 he'd be no different than any other leader, religious leader. Rising from the dead puts the stamp of the supernatural on the reality that he's not the supreme God, he's the only God. Got that? And so that's what's important here. So all this that you're getting is coming from really the Lord. So let's go back over this passage again. I want you to take your pen and I want you to circle the word chosen or chose any way that you would like to do that is that I want you to know that in God's mind, you already were designed before you were in your mother's womb and that God wanted you to be a part of his forever family. One version says this, you were chosen according to the purpose of God. I knew that went by real fast. Let's slow it down. You were chosen according to the purpose of God. That means that God has a purpose for your life, and your purpose really begins at the moment of your salvation when you place your faith alone in Him. He has a purpose for your life. I like to say this, you were chosen. It's kind of like being adopted. I heard a story where there were two boys in the family, and the boy that was uh, in the family, the brother, says, I'm their real child. You're just adopted. And the boy that was adopted looks at his brother and says, yeah, but they had no choice. They just had to take you. Me they picked. I kind of like that. I'm chosen. Well, you're picked by God. Can you think about that? Let let me tell you, this is so stupid, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I am not your natural athlete. I don't. I, I didn't get in any teams. I didn't play football, baseball. You know, I was just nothing. I surfed because I can do that all by myself. Okay. Why was that that case? Because I'm just a klutz. I don't. I don't. If you said, "Hey, why don't you play volleyball with me?" Oh no, shoot me. You know, I, I just don't do real well at, at that. Not literally, folks. If you're watching. All right. But the point is, I was one of those guys in school. When they'd say, okay, the coach says, okay, you're the captain and you're the captain. Go ahead, pick from all these guys. Who do you want? The guys, I want that guy. Oh, I want that guy. I want that guy. And pretty soon, the last guy to get picked was who do you think? Me. I really wasn't picked. I was the last one. And the guy who got me, I can hear it over and over again. Oh, I got Stanley. You know, can you imagine that? All right. I would have loved to have been the one that when they got the two captain first, I'd love to have been the one picked captain. But if that wasn't the case, I'd want to be the one that was the first picked by that captain. You were first picked by the captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. You were chosen. And you weren't chosen today. You were chosen before you were a glimmer in your dad's eye. You were chosen by Almighty God for the foundation of the earth. Now, some of you are saying, "Are you what's this Calvinism? Is this election and foreknowledge and all of that? Well, they've been debating that literally for centuries, Okay. So I'm not going to unpack that except to say this. When I was teaching through the book of Romans, and it took me many years to go through that, I want you to know that I had to come to chapters 9, 10, and 11. And after I researched all the balanced Bible teachers that didn't have a dog in the hunt to try to prove something, they just wanted to exegete scripture, those guys came to this conclusion, and I loved it. They said, yes, you're chosen. Can't get by these passages. Over here it says, whosoever will may come. And you still have to do the believing. God doesn't make you believe. You've got to do the believing. And here's what they illustrated. They said, God chooses you to use like one rail on a railroad track. Your free will to choose Christ is another rail. And you can try to make them work. But as soon as you get one strong, you can find a few passages in theology and systematic theology. That they'll say, no, it's not really. It's over here. And you go, oh, it's over here. So now you have one rail. Sovereignty of God, the other rail, free will of man. We don't understand them now, but those two rails on that track will come together in the sea of God's eternity. So, right now, in this part of the passage, is talking about that He picked you out. Somehow, He wanted you in His family, and He orchestrated a whole bunch of stuff to happen so that eventually you'd come, watch this now, and hear a message. That salvation was by faith alone in Christ alone. And then he backed away after he did all of that. Sent his spirit in to convict you of your need. Then he backed away. And then he let you place your faith in Jesus Christ. You called upon him. He didn't call upon himself. He called you to call upon him to trust Christ. So, was it all him picking? No. Was it all of you? No. But it's kind of all together, so I think this is kind of cool when I read that. Well, when I read the passage, it causes me to have um, two immediate questions. The first one is this. Why would God want to pick me? Really? I look at my life, and I look at who I am, I look where I came from. I'm only a second-generation American. Okay, We're, My grandparents are from another country, Europe, Czechoslovakia, Switzerland, Bohemia. Okay, That's my background. Okay? But why would God want me in his forever family here's why I think he did not because I'd be preaching not because I'm so good-looking I'm not he did it to show us and the world and his angels his grace see it's not about me it's all about him Do you believe that I like to see it it shows to the world and others his glory his grace, his mercy, his love, his power, how long do you have? okay, so it goes on and on and on. that's who God is, so that's why he picked me, and that's why he picked you, so I can't walk around here, you know, with my nose stuck in the air about that later, your nose was so stuck in the air that the rain she drowned, okay, so the point still being is, he picked you to manifest to others his wonderful grace. you don't believe it? Read Ephesians chapter two, the first part of it manifest His grace. What's the second uh, question? Not only why did He choose me, but now what, what basis did He choose me? In other words, yes, it's about His grace, but it was also for us to understand His mercy. Notice what it says. For it is by His boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born